Welcome to another exciting word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. You know, God has a plan. God has a plan and he will succeed. I know when we look at the world, we cannot imagine that God planned this. He did not plan what we're going through. That was not a part of his plan. He planned to help us out of the things he knew that we would go through. He doesn't plan trouble and trial and tragedy and trauma and temptations. He does plan to help you out when you are in the midst of trouble and trial and temptations and trouble comes your way. When testings come your way, he's got a plan to help you out. He's always got a plan, and his plan is always the same thing. No matter what verse you read, no matter what passage that you may uh, come across, unless you read it in the light of God's plan, then you are misinterpreting it. What is God's plan? God's plan is redemption. It's always redemption. God's plan is always to help us in our moment to take one more step closer to him and one more step farther away from the trouble that wants to pursue us. One step farther away from the temptations, one step farther away. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, uh, he, he doesn't lead us into temptation. He leads us in the path of righteousness. This is God's plan. God's plan for your life is to help you. And if you will turn your life over to God's plan, he will help you. He'll help you in any situation. You know, uh, the clock may not be turned back. You may not can go back and undo something you did, but God has a best for you today without respect to what you have gotten yourself into or what someone else got you into. Without respect to how difficult someone else has made it on you or how difficult you have made it on yourself. Without respect to what you're going through just in the process of life. God has a plan to help you. He has a plan to bring you out of the hole, as David called it, a pit. He said, basically, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase this. He said, I was in a pit, and my feet were in the miry clay, and I was stuck in a hole, and my feet were stuck, you know, were, were stuck, were stuck down in the clay. But God brought me up out of the miry pit. He set my feet up on a rock, and then he put a new song in my heart. That discovers to us a process by which God takes us and helps us step by step by step. You know, He gets you out of something, he establishes you, and then he teaches you. Just uh, you know, uh, puts a new song in your heart. Puts, you know, there's hope for someone that can sing. Someone is singing a new song. There's, there's joy where there once was just despair. There's hope. That's a process. God has a process for you. That might be uh, you know, a, a little more accurate in some of your mind picture that, uh, that instead of he has a plan for you, God has a process for you. God has a process by which he's hoping that you will enter in that process with him and that he can bring you to a place of, of um, joy and a place of excitement, and a place to where you're happy, where you're satisfied, you're content. That's what he wants. If you are not presently 
happy, satisfied, content. If you're in a situation that temptations, testings, trials, tribulations are pressing in upon you, then let me tell you one more time, God has a plan and he has a time for you. He knows that if you will give your life to him in the process of time, he will help you to make right decisions. He will send angels on assignment to do things behind the scenes to make sure that life is orchestrated, that all things work together, Romans 8, 28. All things will work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, you know, follow his plan, enter into his process, little by little. It may not, the Bible says it may not happen in one step, but line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, the Bible says he will yet increase you and bless you. He has a plan, and his plan is always redemption, always to help, to redeem. Well, that's for free tonight. That's not what we're going, but that's what happened. That's what happened near 2,000 years ago, you know, uh, today, as we celebrate uh, the, the Passover today. And so we are continuing tonight in our COTR Family Bible Study series this year, and tonight is Passover. We're going to take a little look at Passover. I know that as Gentiles and as a Western church, Many of us don't know a whole lot about Passover. We kind of generally know that Moses, you know, went down into Egypt and told Pharaoh, let my people go, because he, he heard God speaking to him out of a burning bush. And, and you know, uh, we understand he was a little baby and he was placed in the Nile River and, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him and raised him. And, and he lived in Egypt, being raised in Egypt as the, 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 um, the ward, as it were of Pharaoh's daughter, so he was educated well for 40 years, and then he ended up going out into the wilderness for 40 years and, and uh, was a shepherd to the sheep of a man named Jethro, who was the priest of Midian. And then when he was 80 years old, God spoke to him and told him to go back down to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So he did. And we know that Pharaoh did not fear God and did not honor uh, what Moses wanted, even though Moses performed miracles for Pharaoh. He would not believe. And so then God began to send plagues and judgments, ten all uh, uh, in, in all. And, and the last one was a horrible one. And it happened on tonight. This is the night that this last plague it was a full moon night on the month, in, in the month of Nisan, which that's the Jewish month right now. It was on that very first Passover, as they would call it, as God would say, that he told Moses, one last plague and then Pharaoh will let you go. God told Moses exactly what to do. Moses told the children of Israel. He told Pharaoh as well, you know, you won't see my face anymore. And this is the last one. God knew. He had a plan. He knew how to help people out of the problem if they would give it to him. And that's what the children of Israel did. That's what his children did. They said, here we are. God redeemed them. And so on a night just, you know, this is the historical night. 
In Exodus chapter 12, we'll read about it. You can read about it throughout this portion of the scriptures in the book of Exodus. Uh, but in verse 21, we'll uh, encapsulate this passage. We're reading verses 21 through 24. The Bible says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in blood that is in the basin, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike or wipe like you're painting the lintel and the doorpost, the top and the sides of the doorpost, with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when the Lord sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Verse 24, and you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. This is what they did. They each took a lamb for a family, and they killed the lamb, and they took the blood of the lamb, and they put it on the doorpost and on the header, on the lintel of the door. And as they put it there, the angel of death, that visited Egypt that night, the destroyer, the New King James Version calls it. He saw the blood and passed over the houses and the families that had the blood on their house. This first Passover was a terrible, terrible event. Even though the angel of death passed over all of the homes that had the blood of the lamb on their house. Yet this destroyer visited every other home. And in every other home, because of the sin and because of the rebellion and because of all of the people refusing to trust God and refusing to believe God, refusing to obey God, death came to their home. The firstborn son of every home, including Pharaoh's, all the way down to the poorest servant. The firstborn sons in every house died. What a terrible, terrible tragedy. What a terrible price to pay for disobeying God. What a terrible price to pay as it is a picture of eternity. This is what God is doing. He is giving us a picture of truth and a picture of the future. And so God told the children of Israel, I want you to remember to do this. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. And remember what we did in the slaying of the lamb 
the sacrifice of the lamb and the application of the blood so that you are protected from the angel of death. You are protected from the destroyer. Now I want you and your sons to do this forever. Wow. And so they began each year on this day, each year on the 14th day of Nisan in preparation for that evening. You see, the day begins at sundown. Okay, uh, it's, The day doesn't begin at midnight. Our day begins at midnight. The, the, the day in the Bible begins at sundown. And just as the day of preparation is happening, they're preparing, they're taking the lamb, they're killing the lamb, they put the blood on their doorpost of their heart, of, 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 of their home, then they go into their home and they don't come back out. Then at nightfall, it's Passover. They're in their homes they're eating the Passover lamb. They're eating the Passover meal inside the home with the blood of the lamb on the outside. They are safe and they are secure and they are having a good family time, a good family meal. They, they are instructed that they need to eat this and that they need to enjoy it and that they need to each year remember why they are eating this. They are eating this Passover meal while all the world stands outside of the blood of the Lamb and they are covered by the blood of the Lamb and they are enjoying a feast while the rest of the world is going through trouble and tragedy and trouble that could only be remedied if they were to step inside the house with the blood of the lamb. If they had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the destroyer would pass over them as well. So inside is a different world than outside. They were told to not go out because on that night, it was a horrible night for all of the Egyptians, for the whole, you know, uh, uh, Pharaoh's house, all of his people. It was horrible for all the land. The next morning, of course, we know that Pharaoh and all the other people said, get out of here, go away. We are in such, you know, uh, such grief they drove them out, sent them out, and they sent them out with all of the wealth of the world with them and sent them out. They didn't want, it, it was, you know, their God delivered the children of Israel by death of the firstborn. And the firstborn only had to die because of the sin, because they would not obey because they would not submit to God. What a horrible picture. And so from that night, for 1,500 years, every year the Jews celebrated Passover. Reasonably, every year they would sit down again they would kill the Passover lamb in, on the preparation day. And then at sundown on the, on the night of Passover begun, they would get into their house and they would stay there to commemorate, to remember. 
because God said, I want you to do it, you and your sons forever. 1,500 years, give or take a little bit, but approximately 1,500 years after Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, there was another Passover. On the same day that we are standing here, on the full moon in the month of Nisan, which the month of Nisan is this month, and the full moon is tonight. And we read about this, the preparation day, because it is the same day that Jesus would be crucified. On the same day that the Lamb was slain, the Lamb of God would be slain. In John chapter 19, you can read all the preparation leading up to it, all the things that, that, that went through, the lamb being, being pinned up as, as it was then and, and examined as Jesus was examined, as he was cross-examined, as he was you know, uh, um, uh, accused and sentenced. Then he was killed on this preparation just before sundown. You know, on, on this day, the, the sun turned dark from noon until 3 o'clock. And the Jewish leaders did not want men hanging on a cross on Passover day. This is supposed to be a celebration. We don't want to be reminded. So they sent soldiers out to make sure that these three men hanging on the cross were dead because it would take a, you know, a long time for suffocation to kill them. And they found that, that two of the men were still alive, so they broke their legs so that they could no longer push themselves up to breathe and hanging down with that weight suffocated. And they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, but one soldier pierced his side. Water and blood ran out. Then, having gone back and let the authorities know that he's already dead. They did not break any of his bones to fulfill a prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. Hundreds of years earlier was spoken of him. So Jesus, dead on the cross. The Bible says in verse 38, after this, it was just before sundown on this very day. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. <laughs> Secret disciples, there's a lot of those. For fear of the Jews. Well, it's either for fear of the Jews or for fear of reputation or for fear, normally fear of other people, what other people, what my friends would think, what my you know, family would think. You know, Secret disciple, I, I like Jesus, but I don't anybody know about it. For fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So Joseph came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, you remember Nicodemus from uh, the third chapter of John? Jesus told him, you must be born again. <laughs> you must be born again. Nicodemus, who 
at first came to Jesus by night. You can read that in John chapter 3. Why? Because Nicodemus didn't want anybody else to know that, that he was interested in Jesus. But here, Joseph and Nicodemus, they, Nicodemus also came. They came and bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. You know, they were taking care of the body of Jesus. Now, in, a, in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. We know this was the tomb of Joseph. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record various aspects of this event. And, uh, and some of you have been with me. We've gone to that tomb. You've seen it. And, uh, you know, we'll be back there, uh, uh, Lord willing, here in September again with 50 of you. And uh, in this particular garden tomb, as it's called, uh, next to Gordon's Calvary, uh, you'll get to see a number of things. You get to see uh, a slab called a loculi. There are two loculi, two slabs where uh, it, it, it was hewn out of a rock where two people could be laid. And we know it was a very rich man's tomb, but we also know in the far one, as you look, as you bend down and look in, which the Word of God tells us that Peter and John had this experience, you can see only the far loculi. And that far loculi, you can tell from the slab that the person who it was intended for, the person who it was made for, is not the person who was buried there. Because it is beautifully, very meticulously carved, very smooth, with exception of the heelstone. The heelstone on the other one is perfect. The heelstone on this one has been extended about four inches or so, rather hurriedly, four to five inches, rather quickly, because it's just chipped at with a hammer, and you can still see the chipping part, so that we know that the person who was laid there some 2,000 years ago, as evidence shows, that they were not the person that it was originally intended for. It was rather a hurried burial. One of the reasons, only one of the many, many reasons that we believe that that is the real garden tomb where Jesus was laid. It's right beside the place of the skull. It has a huge stone that rolls to cover the entrance. The original entrance was low so that you would have to bend down to look in. The, the chamber that you see is to the right, which is not indicative of, of burial chambers and tombs of that period. It would have been farther in. You would normally go in and see a, 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 a little antechamber where mourners, a mourning chamber, and then farther in would be the loculi. But this one is built side by side so that when you look to the left is the mourning chamber, and when you look to the right, just a picture of so many things. You can see a crack in the wall that was caused by an earthquake right up to the point, boom, to where that big stone was that, you know, 
it would have been difficult to roll away. But it earthquake, there's a crack, goes so many things. He was laid in the tomb in which no one had been laid. It was a new tomb. He made, as the psalmist said, in death he made his burial with the rich in his death. Wow. Verse 42, so there they laid Jesus. Why? Because of the Jews' preparation day. Because of the day that the Jews were getting really prepared for the Passover. And soon at sundown, they would need to go into their homes and they would need to stay there and have this great feast of Passover as it began. For the tomb was nearby, near Golgotha. You see, this very evening, as the full moon indicates for those who can see, we have arrived at another Passover, a time to remember that 2,000 years ago, God gave his only son, that God gave his firstborn as a sacrifice for all sin forever. And soon, uh, in fact, we will here in the Western world, in the church, we will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this coming Sunday. Soon and very soon. The Apostle John gives us keen insight into what happened that final Passover evening. And tonight I want to offer you three things that are of interest to me as I read this passage and I believe will be of interest to you. One thing I want to share with you tonight is just like Pharaoh, God lost his firstborn son to sin. You see, the reason that the angel of death visited Egypt was because of the sin the reason the firstborn died was because of the rebellion and the refusal to obey God. That's why Jesus died too. That's why God lost his firstborn too. The same reason Pharaoh lost his firstborn is the same reason God lost his firstborn. Because of sin and rebellion and because of people's refusal to obey and to submit to God. Sin. Refusing to obey God caused the death of every firstborn son in Egypt. And sin, the refusal of you and me and everyone else in the world to obey God, caused the death of God's firstborn son. You know, God paid the price owed by the world. God Never ask anyone to do something that he has not already done himself. God did not put some curse on Egypt that he himself was not willing to endure for you and for me. Love, the love of God in this case, but our love should be a reflection of this. Love often accepts the responsibility to fix something they did not break. God did not break this. But it was his responsibility to fix it. Love often demands that we fix something we did not break. A second thing that I have noticed as I read through this is that you have nothing to fear when you have nothing to lose. I got that. 
from the secret disciples that came to Jesus by night. They had a lot to lose. They had a reputation to lose. They had position to lose. They had power. They had influence. They had money. They had a lot to lose. You know, when you have a lot to lose, you have a lot to be afraid of. But when you look at life and realize, as the Apostle Paul would later write, I count everything I have but dung that I might win him. I have nothing to lose because everything I have belongs to him. That kind of robs fear of its power in your life when you have decided that you have nothing to lose. (laughs) But when you have a lot to lose, like Joseph and Nicodemus did, one came by night and one came secretly. You see, wealthy and influential people have a lot to fear. But when the going got tough and God needed them, they came. Many more there be with us than be against us. Just because you're looking around and seeing a lot of people who are not standing up for what's right, don't think they don't know what's right. Just realize they're afraid because they got a lot to lose. Just realize that it's not that they don't know the truth. It's just that they're afraid to speak up. It's not that they don't know the truth. They're just afraid to stand up. It's not that they don't know the truth. It's just they don't want to tell anybody else that, uh, that I love Jesus. I know the truth. This is not right. This is wrong. Because the moment you do that, you end up losing a lot. But never despair. More there be with us than be with them. And you have nothing to fear when you have nothing to lose. What have you got to lose? What is the worst thing that could happen? You go to be with Jesus? Or you suffer something so that when you get to Jesus and see him, you'll have a lot of jewels in your crown? What's the worst thing that could happen? Let me encourage you, stand up and speak up. Don't just be a secret disciple for Jesus. Don't just come to him only in the nighttime when nobody can see you. The last thing that I'll offer to you from John the 19th chapter and from this Passover evening is that the body of Christ should be handled with great respect. That's what we see with Joseph and Nicodemus. They handled the body of Christ with great respect. They just didn't take him off the cross and throw him in a ditch. They didn't just take him and throw him in the tomb. They didn't just take him and lay him down in there and roll the stone and run away. They didn't, you know, they didn't just do this in secret, but with great respect. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Christ. He interceded for the body of Christ. And when he was given permission because God was already moving on the heart of Pilate, he went, he and Nicodemus, and they prepared. They spent their money. They spent their energy. They spent their time. They took him off of the cross. They handled the body of Christ with great respect. And they, and they perfumed and they, and, and, and they wrapped the body with fine linen. They, they did 
with great respect, with great care. They took care of the body of Christ. Why did they treat the body of Christ with such respect? They respected the body of Christ because they respected Christ. They respect the body of Jesus because they respected Jesus. If you respect Christ, you will respect the body of Christ. This is a great lesson. Colossians 1.24, the Apostle Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. You know, you can't just date the girlfriend of Jesus. You're supposed to be married as the body of Christ. We should respect the church. Jesus calls us his body. And if we respect Jesus, we should have great respect for the church. Great care for the church. It might cost us time and energy and effort. But Jesus counts us as his body. He said to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? By his own testimony, he was persecuting the church. The church is the body of Christ. Before you go dissing the body of Christ or the mother of Jesus, either one, by the way, I think I'd stay way away from saying anything negative about Mary or about the church. You know, I don't take it too kindly when people do that to me. I don't think Jesus does either. So, the body of Christ should be handled with great respect. Tonight, I'll encourage you in closing that tonight, as we sleep in our beds, let's be thankful for Passover. Let's be thankful that the Lamb of God was slain and that His blood covers our lives so that the destroyer passes over us, cannot enter in. Although the world may be in trouble, turmoil, and and all types of trauma, testings, and temptations. Yet in my heart, in my life, in this house, I am called the house of God. The blood of the Lamb has been, has been you know, it has, has covered me. And I'm okay. My goal is to make sure everyone becomes the house of God. That's what he said. You and your sons do this forever. Well, I celebrate Passover when I get born again. Thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.